Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting this. And I'll see you soon. Cheers, James. Hello and welcome to the Winging It Travel Podcast, episode 57. Travelling with Scott Harrison in Egypt, UAE, Oman, Israel and Palestine. We also touch a little bit on his life in Scotland too at the start of the episode. So we get a full array of countries this week. Scott was solo travelling in this area, uh, two different trips, but we cover those five countries in that particular area in the Middle East, and he talks about how he navigated around the area, his top tips on things to see, how to travel in terms of um, cars and public transport, and also just a bit of time for you, so how many days he spent in each country and what he saw, where he stayed, and the type of accommodation. It's hostels, it's guest houses, it's camping, and it's genuinely a real great array of subjects this week so I think you'll enjoy some of the stories and I deliberately asked him for a story at the end of each country Um, so it's a bit fun there Scott has been on before he was on last year to talk about some other countries but he has travelled to over 50 countries so I'm sure he'll be back on to cover another part of the world I just want to say thanks to Emma Thompson for coming on for episode 56 and also thanks everyone for listening last week. It really was an interesting insight into someone who's travelled immensely over the last decade. I mean, I think she said around 100 countries and she's been on the road for 10 years until COVID, um, only staying at home for two or three months at a time. So real good insight into travel writing, journalism and what that lifestyle is like. Don't forget all February and March's Tea Public merchandise sale commission that I make is going towards Choose Love's Ukrainian fund. So don't forget to get involved with that if you want a bit of merchandise yourself. I think there may be a cheeky competition coming out with Tea Public. I'm just in talks at the minute to maybe arrange what type of competition that'll be. And the winners will only be chosen if you bought a bit of merchandise. So stay tuned for that. Also Please don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Winging It Travel Podcast, and Twitter too. The same name. Follow me on there. I post weekly about the podcast, my travels, who's coming on next, and I'll be doing my competitions and stuff like that. Also, a short note to make, as I mentioned on my social media this week, that I am setting up a Patreon for those avid listeners who want more content than what I do at the minute. It's obviously one podcast episode a week. I'm looking to maybe increase that to two a week and also some other content to do with travel. So watch that space. Kind of releasing that as we go through the weeks and months, probably till June, I'll start to get that officially rolling up. Um, as I'm going to the Camino de Santiago in June in Spain, that might be my first week of that sort of travel, like diary type stuff. So yeah, just keep an eye on that. Uh, on my social media so yeah get following there and also don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify it's literally five stars click it takes two seconds and if you want to write a review there's plenty of ways to do that on Apple Podchaser or Good Pods so thank you very much cheers for tuning in it's a great episode this one and I'll catch you next week cheers let's get into the episode hello and welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast today I'm joined by Scott Harrison for the second time 
My good friend Scott is also co-host of his own podcast, The Esoteric Ether, and we're here today to talk about the Middle East and traveling around that area. So we're going to cover a few countries such as UAE, Egypt, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, and Oman. That's going to be our premise for today. We're going to have some tips, some stories, and some key information about traveling in those countries. Welcome back, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad, thanks. We're just talking about the uh, Northern Lights, just pre-recording there, and you're still in Scotland, and you have the Northern Lights on your doorstep. I know it's quite uh, an astonishing thing that something I didn't even realise when I moved up this area that I could experience that. But yeah, I've seen it uh, now three times in the past, well, probably three weeks, maybe a month. (laughs) Wow. And yeah, it's just quite amazing to be able to step out on the patio, even... This was the first time I saw it was probably about half 10 at night, just before going to bed Mm. and didn't even expect to see it. And then, yeah, since then I've been out most nights when it's been clear, just keeping an eye out. (laughs) Just an amazing thing as you've seen it yourself, James. I mean, it's something that I'm sure many people, if they haven't really, really want to, it's one of those bucket list items to see the Northern Lights. So I feel very fortunate to just be in and amongst it. Yeah, you're right. You're very lucky because I think that is on a lot of people's bucket lists. And I couldn't believe it when we saw it. And the pictures and the describing it, you can't really do it justice, can you? Like You have to kind of be there and actually see them to really understand how good it is. Yeah, completely. Unless you've got a you know proper professional camera set up. For me, I tried to take a picture with my phone and it just doesn't look anything like them than what you're seeing because you can't capture the movement and yeah yeah just the the definition so yeah it's better when you see them as well to just take in the experience um if you end up being lucky enough to get a long exposure to them then i'd say that should be sort of the second priority is taking a picture but you you first want to just focus on experiencing it yeah you're absolutely right i think i had a night night mode on my camera which kind of caught them to a decent standard like you know not not amazing but they don't compare to the professional photographers who have the the big cameras right but you're absolutely right we spent two hours in the frozen lake just looking at them and it was like minus 20 so we really got our money's worth do you think scotland because it has the northern lights right and you're saying pre-recording doesn't rain much where you are both of those have kind of really surprised you with like where the area you are in Scotland? Sort of a, I wouldn't really know how to describe it, but I've, it's it's always taken me by surprise, but in, in a good way since I've been up here. I mean, I had some obviously general ideas and I've said this to everyone because people know Britain in general has a reputation of just being, oh, it's wet and miserable all the time. Mm. And that is definitely true in a lot of parts of the country. But up here it's, For one, it's the sunniest place in Scotland, which might not say much to most people who live in a hot, sunny climate, but I probably get about 10, 11 weeks of rain a year um, compared to the West Coast, because I'm on the Northeast Coast, and the West Coast gets about over six months. So it gets about two and a half, three times the amount of rain. It's a strange climate in that, For example, today it hit 13 degrees and even at night right now, it's about eight degrees outside. And in the peak of summer, it also doesn't get super hot. (laughs) I think the the, the hottest temperature is about 
27 degrees okay. Celsius. So, yeah. which for me, I generally prefer a cooler climate. Yeah. But it's just fairly consistent. There's not extremes here. It doesn't get really hot and then really cold in the winter. It's fairly consistent. And that's a good thing for especially what I do being working outside. So, you know, over this past few weeks, I've been planting a, a few hundred trees in my garden. So that's, uh, you know, the, the climate's made that a lot more uh, enjoyable to be out there doing that. Yeah, because we talked about before recording about the, the dream scenario of you having that, that little bit of rain to kickstart the trees off with a, a nice, you know, early life. And then you wake up, like it rains at night a little bit and you wake up and it's kind of clear and very mild. That's kind of a, for me also, I do love hot weather, but I think I need that consistency of not too much rain, but mild, clear, you know, just a normal, what I say, normal climate. And that's quite, it's quite lucky to have that, isn't it? Yeah. And because of the aspect too, that, so I'm on the East coast, but I'm actually South facing and literally a 10 minute walk to the beach. It's pretty much just under a kilometer. Uh, but I can see the beach very clearly. There's nothing in front of me. Mm. And I can see the sunrise for about nine months of the year. So for the peak summer months, because of I'm at the 58th latitude, yeah. Um, sort of the, the variation of where the sun rises changes quite dramatically. But for about nine months of the year, I get a sunrise over the over the ocean. So I can wake up, have my coffee and watch the sunrise. And in the winter, I even see the sunsets, but in maybe only for about three months of the year. Oh, wow. Okay. And then for most of the time, it's going off uh, behind the hills. But you get the really long days. Of course, what comes with that is the short days in the winter. But like I said, because it's not super cold, you can, for me, I find I can be outside a bit, get some stuff done for a few hours. And I also enjoy the having a bit more downtime in the winter to just get on with some other stuff. Um, yeah. You know, the, the change in seasons kind of forces you to change your sort of daily routine. Whether being mild, even though the short days are obviously shorter, because let's say for Yukon example that we went to at Christmas, where it's probably not as, it's probably a bit more extreme. So maybe five hours we get, maybe five and a half hours up there. But it's minus 20. So you can't just nip out and do stuff, right? You have to really get dressed up and get your snowshoes on and get outside. But from the sounds where you are, yeah, I wouldn't mind even a shorter day if the, the you know the whole day of like daylight is like five, six hours, seven hours, but it's mild and it's kind of clear and not too cold. It's all right, isn't it? You can just yeah, still sit outside with a coffee, watch the sunrise and do some stuff. So that's almost perfect, isn't it? I think. Yeah, well, as well, if you think just comparing latitudes, that I don't really get much snow. Now I've had a bit of snow mm. in like November, but it's you know, nothing much, just a light dusting. And then two days later, it's gone. And it might get a few days where it's a bit frosty. But for the most part, that doesn't stay long because the sun's always out. And also being by the coast, generally, uh, because of the sea, the salt water, you don't really get um, too much frosty weather. So oh, okay, even though I'm so far north, it, it, it very rarely gets into the minus degrees celsius like below freezing surprises a lot of people because they think if you compare that to i mean where you are james in vancouver you're in vancouver island where i lived for nearly two years that's at the 49th degree parallel yes and you know right now and 
in these parts, you this time of year, you get heavy dollops of snow, and that's pretty standard. Mm. So even though I'm further north, that doesn't seem to happen here. But yet if you go inland to the center of the highlands at the same latitude, it will be covered in snow, but it's just as you get nearer the coast, uh, there's generally a lot less. So that's good too, because I like the snow when it's just falling, but once it's you know yeah. come and gone, you usually just want it to go because it's just a creates like a slippery mess the black ice is a nightmare in it like we because we, <laughs> we came back from yukon and because it's so extreme there it's just fresh snow right every day and that's fine because you can kind of deal with that because it's like nice sounding you step on it it's fluffy and there's no real time for it to kind of settle into ice but here in vancouver when we came back the black ice is a nightmare um yeah i, I totally get what you mean it's, it's almost a bit of a mind fuck when you kind of like analyze what you said there because you're higher up but you don't get the ex- the more extreme weather it's just a bit a bit of a weird kind of um phenomenon really isn't it yeah well it's just that the uk temperature and climate is pretty bizarre compared to any other place in the world for yeah like how like the latitude and then it's obviously supposedly to do with the atlantic uh, gulf stream and things like yeah. that just uh, to sum it up it's basically been pleasantly surprising that you traveled to a lot of countries uh, we're talking post 50 countries here. Um, so we're going to concentrate today on Middle East because it's a subject on my podcast that's not been covered really, if at all. And I think you've done some extensive travel there and can provide some real great insight into some of the countries that you travel to. So hopefully that can get some juices flowing for people who are thinking maybe to go to that area of the world. So we're going to start with Egypt. And when did you go to Egypt? I do remember you going on this trip, actually. I remember you going, oh, I was like, wow, that's quite cool. Um, you went in 2017 and how did you think about maybe booking that trip and and what your plan was for the route maybe in Egypt like from north to south what was your what was your ideas there yeah so um well generally you would know this James but what I did when I was doing my work visas in places like Australia and New Zealand and I'd always try and visit home uh, around once a year just to see family and friends and what I usually would try and do then is tie in some stopovers on the way uh, back or either back to the UK or back over to in this case it was New Zealand so I was taking a break between my two-year working holiday visa there Mm -hmm. I took a couple of months off went back for a month and then I was looking for you know sort of the cheapest way to get back but also with trying to hit up some places yeah that would be of interest and one at the time that I wanted to go to and also to see a friend was Greece so I thought okay well yeah a flight to Athens that's pretty cheap from yeah from the UK and then I was actually somehow find out just through doing research on Skyscanner and places like that that there was a flight from Cairo to Bangkok for it was under about 200 pound which at the time wow. seemed pretty you know great yeah and then also even better that was it was only 35 pound from Athens to Cairo <laughs> wow and I always wanted to go to Egypt I've had a real interest in you know the sites that are on offer there and just ancient history in general and yeah. it just seemed like the perfect time to go because I wouldn't say 
maybe a few months before that I intended, oh, Egypt was a place I had to go to, even though it was a place I had to go to during all my travels, but just that maybe at that time. And so it just worked out that, yep, I'm going to do that. And ended up having a month there because I thought I did quite a bit of research on it in terms of what it was like to travel there at the time, because even though this was years after, I think it was 2011, they had their sort of revolution there and it was big news and sort of the focal point of uh, the world all kind of all eyes were on Egypt at the time. It just, from what I was reading from travel blogs, um, who people who had been there in the last year or two from that point, it was all reading very well. And I just thought, yeah, well, why not? I mean, I've been to some of these places in Southeast Asia. I'm not like worried about any potential, you know, dodgy things. I'm sort of aware, feel pretty well traveled already at that point. So it wasn't like it was the first time I was going to any uh, less developed uh, country. And yeah, so I didn't have too much of a plan really when I got there, except some of the main places I wanted to go and some experiences that I wanted to have. So I flew in and out of Cairo, but when I was in Cairo for a few days, I think maybe four days, three nights, something like that, just stayed in a hostel and met a bunch of pretty cool people. They're all super helpful. And Cairo is very like, metropolitan it's a massive Mm. city something like 22 million people wow um but it's ranked as the sixth safest city in the world in terms of crime oh really so quite quite against what yeah yeah um most people would perceive of it and Mm. so I, i was quite shocked just at first walking around and seeing these things that contradicted some of my preconceived ideas of the place when Literally, you've got a mosque and quite literally next door is a church. Oh, right. Okay. And they're all just sort of going in and out next to each other. And this happens on a lot of streets, literally the places of worship right next door to each other of, you know, opposite faiths or not opposite faiths, but different faiths. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just met some good people in Cairo, saw those main sites like the Great Pyramids. And so you've got Giza where there's nine pyramids that's the most sort of famous one you've got Mm -hmm. the great pyramid there and there's two other big ones and then six other small ones and you've got the sphinx um so those are some of the most popular sites of course in all of egypt but i also um hired a car to a guy to basically take me there Mm -hmm. and i spent about half a day at giza And then in the afternoon, we went to a couple of other places. And one was um, called Dakshur. And it's also known as the Red Pyramid. And that was one of the highlights because I got to go inside the pyramid and I was the only one inside. Oh, wow. Dream. And this place is massive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you your pictures just can't do it justice because it's in the desert. So there's nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the great pyramid of Giza is about 420 feet high. Yeah. And this one's about 
50. So it's pretty massive too. And it's actually the oldest pyramid in Egypt. Okay. And yeah, I showed up, the, the driver told me like, if you, you know, pay the guy on the, on the door there, mm-hmm. it's not really a proper door, but he's just sort of guarding the, um, it's hard to describe really, because they're not proper doorways. They're halfway up and they're like shoots that just go down to the center of the pyramid. Okay. And they've built these wooden steps. So naturally it's a completely smooth square uh, tunnel that goes from the side of the pyramid right down to the central room yeah. at the base. And there's kind of two coming off on each side, like one pointing east and west. Yeah. Anyway, so I go inside, super amazing experience just to be in a place like that by yourself uh, as where you go to Giza. And I was there at a very quiet time because most people are afraid to go to Egypt. So the yeah. tourism industry got pretty badly hit and the most affected by the um the issues that the country was having it scared a lot of people from going and tourism is one of their biggest industries so many people who were tour guides and worked in other areas of the tourism industry simply lost their jobs i went to another pyramid called um sakur which is it's like a step pyramid. So if you okay. imagine the Mayan pyramids in Mexico, like mm-hmm. it's not a completely, let's say, perfect pyramid. It's got like steps going up. And yeah, that was pretty much Cairo. Like Cairo as well, like the street food was, was great and had some, yeah, the, the food in Egypt in general was just really great. Things like uh, shawarmas and this full it's called it's basically like a traditional egyptian breakfast it's like a lentil and bean mm. mix nice um almost like a paste and you just have it with a bit of rice and it's very simple food but it's <clears throat> could compare it to like a dal in india where yeah it's really simple but just really tasty and cairo as a city itself <clears throat> is there like a particular area that like backpackers or travelers stay in or is it just kind of a bit of research could be could, could be taking you across the whole city do you think yeah there is certain districts and now i can't think off the top of my head which district i was that i stayed in but i'm sure just a simple little search mm. you'll generally find all the hostels will be within the certain these certain districts oh, okay yeah uh, just as they would in some other countries like uh, Ho Chi Minh City and Vietnam, there's like a, a district yeah. where all the hostels are. And um, do you recall like the rough price of a hostel for a night? Yeah, Cairo was probably the most expensive, and I think I spent about fifteen dollars a night in okay. that yeah. hostel, and that was the most expensive for the whole time in uh, Egypt. And you got breakfast included with that bonus um yes that's definitely a bonus and it was in a pretty nice building pretty just standard like nothing too special but Mm -hmm. uh, comfortable and you know you felt safe and the the staff were all super helpful and everyone speaks such good english so no issues there um and they're very helpful in just helping you plan certain things so i was quite adamant on wanting to take the train yeah uh all the way down to aswan which was going to be my next stop which is all the way 
it's up the Nile, so all the way down in southern Egypt. It's their yeah. southernmost uh, city. And that, this was probably my favorite place, or at least one of them. In terms of a city, it, was, it wasn't really a city. It was like a big town. Um, but a very, yeah, my, uh, most enjoyable place, I'd say. It was very mellow, very laid back. Um, you know, it's right on the Nile and it's a lot cleaner there. Mm -hmm. And there's all these little felucas, which are the traditional Egyptian sailboats, just going around for people fishing. Yeah. And you have the ancient um, settlement of uh, Heliopolis from the ancient Egyptian times, which is an island mm -hmm. um, sort of in between as the Nile's quite wide in that part. So there's these old ancient bridges that go across and it's just a complete ruined island but full of all these really interesting stuff to just walk around and explore we went down to a, a place called abu simbel which is a very famous temple it's got the four big pharaoh statues against oh, the yeah. mountain cliff it's, it's very famous it was on like some uh big band's album cover oh, okay. it also made it a bit famous i can't think of the band but mm -hmm. that's about a two-hour journey and because it's going down to the uh, it's right on the border of Sudan. Yes. Uh, you actually get escorted by the military, like everyone does. You <laughs> each go in oh. individual cars, and there was no trouble at all. But yeah. You sort of say, book your trip to go. You can just book it the day before when you're in Aswan. Mm -hmm. um, and you basically leave at like five in the morning, and there's about six of you in a, these big Jeeps. And it's just a convoy with like a military car at the front and a military car at the back. And there's probably 20 cars of tourists right. that go from there. And you just go and you spend a few hours down at the temple. Um, yeah, you're not actually, you don't see the border. It's still about another, well, I'd be guessing, but it's probably at least 20 kilometers still further to the south. Mm. So you're not actually getting near the border, but um They've just experienced some trouble with people coming in and robbing tourists in the past. And this was a right. long time ago. So they yeah. set that up to basically protect the tourists because, like I said, it's their biggest industry or at least one of them. And, yeah, I didn't experience any issue there. I don't think anyone does nowadays. That's just a precaution that they take mm -hmm. to make sure nobody's going to um, try and rob any of the tourists. So basically, they're, they're kind of protecting you from thieves, not really like even proper criminals, really. No, it's not anything too serious as well. It's yeah. not like they're they're out to try and like murder you or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> and then on my notes, it says here that you um, went to Luxor eventually, but you took a small boat to Edfu with a stop to Kombu. Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, from Aswan, that, this was one of the main things I wanted to do. Like, I spent about four days, five days in Aswan. Um, some days just chilling by the Nile because they just have beaches on the Nile. It's all very yeah. nice. On the other side of the Nile is just, you know, you're just pretty much on the edge of the Sahara there, which so just sand yeah. dunes as far as the eye can see. So I did a couple of things like some camel riding and camped out in the desert. Um 
for one night. And then I met a couple of people through just the places I was staying at. And yeah, there was a girl from Austria and a guy from Germany. And we all kind of got together and arranged this uh, sailing trip to go from uh, from Aswan to Edfu and then on to Komombo. So a lot of people, when you hear about Nile cruises, they yeah. literally take these bigger boats that almost like a hotel on the water, like a mini yeah. hotel. But this was these traditional felucca sailing boats and you sleep on an open deck, like under the stars, just floating on the water at night. And we only did it for uh, two nights, so three days, two nights. So it was going much slower as well. And <clears throat> we got to do a, just some pretty cool stuff, just being with the locals, the the two guys who were the, the sailors. And, you know, we'd catch fish for our dinner and that sort of stuff. And it was definitely a, felt like a more authentic experience rather than just going on a one of these cruises yeah, where way you just experience. get your, your three meals and <laughs> yeah. you can still enjoy the the views. Yeah, definitely. But those extra things really made it to be a, a much better experience. And with locals, like go, go, go and find out what they've got to say. You know, they're, they're going to probably tell you some stuff that you probably wouldn't even hear. So that's definitely a much better experience than just whack <laughs> on a, almost like a cruise type thing. Yeah. Well, this was something I, you know, got chatting to my, uh, or guide, let's say, like the the main guy we arranged the tour with, who was the the boat captain, mm. and you know we had some very very interesting conversations. And I was telling him about, yeah, you know, he was asking me, oh, why aren't why aren't more people coming to to Egypt? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, these last uh, five six years, like we're really suffering, and many of my friends have even had to sell their boats and oh. things like that because they just can't afford because they had a boat to do these sorts of tours and there's just mm. not the tourists coming in. And, you know, I just said, you know, it is sad, but unfortunately people are just afraid to come here. Yeah. And he, he made such a good point. He goes, but why? Like whenever I, you know, look at the news in London, it's always like somebody got stabbed or <laughs> somebody got shot. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I completely agree with you. I'm not, you know, that's a, great point but it's just for some reason i i said so unfortunately every bit of media coverage of egypt probably in those, these last five years is has been negative mm, yeah, and it's just created this perception that people want to just avoid the place and it's it's a shame because it's obviously affecting all the people in the country and then uh you know, he was like, yeah, this is why we don't like our government. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, it's a great point because I've got obviously one of my questions, which you probably know in notes, is a lot of people perceive that it's unsafe to travel there. And unfortunately, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if that's still true nowadays, but I, I definitely know at the time that you went that people would have been a bit surprised that you're going. But that's, that's a shame, isn't it? Because these local people who are like a nowhere near Cairo, for example, or the capital, which may be perceived as a dangerous place, but. Yeah, they're kind of losing livelihoods because of this. Well, definitely. And what one of the bonuses to me going when I did in this whole situation was that, you know, the people were actually 
very genuine. That was a big bonus. Yeah. But also when you go to a place like Egypt, you, most people are going to see the, some of the incredible sites, right? Like the pyramids. Pyramids, yeah. Go into Luxor and places like that. And you could go to these places and there would be less than 10% of the usual people that would go there. So sometimes you could go to a place and there'd hardly be anyone around, which is great because, you know, sometimes you're trying to take pictures of things and mm-hmm. there's too many people in the way yeah. and too crowded and you just can't get any good pictures or even just enjoy the place you're in because there's just everyone's running around and there's kids screaming or whatever the case may be. And that was a huge bonus to see these places in, you know, without too many people. And then also because of the economy was affected so badly, everything was very cheap. And overall in the whole month I spent there with, I mean, we only talked a little bit about the route so far, but yeah, you know, I got to see everything I wanted to see. I did camping in the desert. I did sailing on the Nile. I went climbing up mountains. I went scuba diving for two days and it cost about 750 New Zealand dollars for a whole month. Whoa, New Zealand dollars. That's well, that's well cheap. (laughs) It was about 400 pounds. It was about a hundred pound a week. Wow. That's like India levels almost. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow, that's I, I didn't even know that. I I I guess it would have been, you know, not too expensive, but that cheap. Wow, wow, and that's a shame because that's a that's a gold mine of a trip for not too much expense. So people listen now, be like, oh, hang on a minute, I spend that for two days in tandem. I'm like, yeah, you need to go to some of these countries, right? So that is that's unreal. I can't get over that. Well, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was surprised, you know, that I mean, the first few days I was in terms of an average i would have been over that because in cairo it wasn't more expensive but the thing is it was only really the accommodation and the fact that i paid about 20 us dollars to get the into the pyramids like the the ticket for that which is the most expensive of all the tickets to get into sites was just the the giza pyramids and then i paid for that car which i paid 20 dollars for the day and but in terms of food, like you'd struggle. I mean, this is the thing is people can go there and they can spend a lot of money. Mm. You can stay in really nice hotels and you can spend a lot of money on food. But if you eat like, you know, probably over half the time as I did, I'd just be eating street food because all these stalls would have you know, eating things like these shawarmas and there's this thing called koshari, which is like a, almost like a thali, yeah. but with everything kind of mixed together. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in like an individual little place. So it was, it was a whole bunch of different stuff of like rice and beans and uh, aubergine, like aubergines are really big there. So oh, yeah. even if you want shawarmas, but without meat, you get these really nice aubergine ones. Mm-hmm. And lots of things like hummus and tahini and those sorts of um, typical Middle Eastern dishes. So all that sort of food's very, very cheap. You know, I could get two big shawarmas for about a dollar 
on the street. And wow, these are like places where there's lich in Cairo. There's one place I went to. There must have been a, at least 200 people outside, just on the street, just eating. And like there was no idea of any queue or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. line, it was just people were like just yelling to the guy in Arabic, like whatever they wanted their order. And somehow they've managed to, you know, just uh, get everything going. And there's about 10 guys working in this kitchen, like running back and forth. And it's all like open and it was chaos. But like the, <laughs> you know, you didn't even have to wait long with that many people. It's probably waiting like 10 minutes yeah, yeah. just Authentic. on the street. And yeah. then they just yell out your number when when it's ready. And um, yeah, just, yeah, good stuff like that. Okay. And I've got a few more questions about Egypt before we carry on with the rest of the countries. Uh, better mention Luxor. That's pretty, must be a popular place on the map for people to go to. How did you find that? Yeah, great, great place. I spent about four or five days there. Um, that's definitely one of the most touristy places. Yeah. Um, so in terms of getting accommodations, really easy because there's loads of guest houses and uh, hostels, things like that. And most of the time, apart from Cairo, I actually stayed in guest houses. So I had my own room for usually less than $10 a night. Yeah. Um, I think it was only Cairo, thinking about it off the top of my head, that I actually stayed um, in a hostel. Are these guest so, houses, are they family run normally? Yeah, generally. They're, you know, mostly quite small. Like they have maybe anything from like four to 10 rooms sort of thing. I mean, in general, I do prefer those like hostels are great when you can meet people, but in some of these places like Aswan, there wasn't any hostels. It was just guest houses. Yeah. I think guest houses are probably my favorite. I think of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And I actually, it's very easy to meet people in like Aswan because there was, I mean, I probably didn't see more than about 10 tourists the whole time I was there. Mm. So you're bumping into the same people at the same sort of food places and you just get chatting. Yeah. Um, because you're like, oh, there's another white person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's politically incorrect to say, but. Oh, I think it's natural for, <laughs> for tourists or backpackers, right? When you're in a place where, mm. yeah, you are definitely a minority. I think you kind of, draw to someone else that's a similar type to you so that's just a natural thing to do right i think we all do it yeah definitely and there's this really good um juice as well sugarcane juice is called cool. uh, sounds sugary uh, asab yeah and it's just pressed fresh sugarcane so it's like a light green sort of juice like quite syrupy mm-hmm. but it's so like refreshing and you just see locals like walking around munching on a sugarcane yeah just like as we would munch on an apple or something, like mm-hmm. just a little snack. And, okay. Uh, that was, that was, uh, yeah, really. I mean, it costs like 10 cents to get a cup of it. And the guy's just on the street on a stool, Bloody just hell. pressing it. Um, <clears throat> puts a few sugar canes through this like yeah. you know, winding um, press and, you know, voila, there's your juice. And wow, 10 cents. Great on a hot day. Yeah, nothing better um, than that. But something as well that just before we move on from Egypt that was quite bizarre was, uh, so I climbed Mount Sinai, which is a very famous mountain. Yeah. 
Um, so that was, I went on to what's called the Sinai Peninsula, mm-hmm. which um, also has a bit of a bad rep in recent yeah. years because there was like a shooting. You've got Sharm El Sheikh, a very famous kind of beach resort, diving hotspot uh, on the Red Sea there. And there was, I think, some shooting at a hotel or something like that. I can't even remember the details, but yeah, it was something that <clears throat> sort of, again, scared many tourists from going to these sorts of places. And um, so I went to a place called uh, Dahab, um, which is not too far from Sharm El Sheikh, but it's a very small, like, local town. And from there, I met some other people and we went, we kind of arranged for somebody to take us to Mount Sinai Yeah, and we climbed up there. So we left at about midnight. It's about a two hour drive. Yeah. And then you set off at about half two and it's about a three hour climb from where you get dropped off. Mm. And, you know, it's you're in the dark, so you've got your head torches on. It's not a difficult climb. It's okay. a tough walk up, but it's nothing too extreme. Yeah. And it's like freezing cold. And then you get to the last maybe 100 meters and I'm walking in snow. And I'm just like, what? what? I'm in Egypt. Why is <laughs> yeah. there snow? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's still kind of dark at this point. And we get up there and then there was probably about 30, 40 people and it started getting lighter as you know dawn's coming mm. and you can see it as just like these snow-capped mountains around wow and uh yeah just a great experience to see the sunrise and just a incredible view so i really recommend people to do that if they go to egypt is go up uh, mount sinai okay it's, that's uh, a great tip yeah i didn't i read your notes like mm, snow <laughs> oh, yeah, <wow>. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you learn something every day don't you that's what's so good about a travel podcast, right? People will have no idea that there's snow in Egypt. Yeah, that's great. That's a great tip. Thanks, Scott. I've got one more question before we move on to Jordan. Um, just one story maybe you can finish on for Egypt. Any any story of your choice that you think the listeners might, might like to hear? So when going over to Sinai, so I got a bus from Luxor. And when you cross Suez, which is where the, the famous Suez yep. Canal is, but there's actually a town called uh, by the same name. Yeah. And when you cross that, you enter into what's known as a like military protected area for the whole of the Sinai Peninsula. Okay. And I was told when I, from my uh, guest house in Luxor, that they might not let you in. Oh, okay. Because they only let usually Egyptian citizens onto Sinai going, going that way. You can fly like directly to Sharm El Sheikh. Yeah, and I was looking at like the flights and I would have had to go back to Cairo and, you know, get a flight. And the flights were strangely expensive for such a short flight. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, that's not an option. But I had about a week left and I was really wanting to do diving. It was one of the main things I wanted to do. Um, and that's really the place to do it. And I just thought, well, you know, well, I'll get on the bus, give it a go. I got chatting to this guy on the bus um who was sat next to me i was the only you know tourist on the bus of course yeah. the thing is i don't even know what he said but when we get to this checkpoint the guys get on the bus the military guys and they're checking everyone's id and then they get to like me and 
they don't seem to speak any English because they're just talking Arabic to me. And then I'm just kind of thinking, well, maybe this is the point. They're going to kick me off the bus. <laughs> yeah. And the guy next to me was, he just started like chatting to the military guys. And I don't have a clue what they're actually saying, just going back and forth. And then they just kind of like, he just tapped me on the shoulder. as like, he sort of patted me on the shoulder and then just said, okay, you can go <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and then they just get off and just let me go. And then yeah. even when I eventually got to, to Dahab and like we got off the bus, there was a guy there who, you know, obviously he, he spoke English and he was mm. like, how the hell did you get here? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. You got to ask that guy. <laughs> I pointed, pointed over to him. I was like, yeah. I'm here <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking for a, a hotel or a guest house. <laughs> So like I don't even know like what happened. What there? happened. Yeah, uh, the guy obviously said something about oh this guy's fine. Like yeah, yeah, I don't he know. Must have stuck up for you maybe. Yeah, just gave you a bit of a reference. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's uh, that's just one that comes to mind. But that was yeah, just going through that whole peninsula. Like we were, it was an overnight bus. It was a long journey. So even from Suez to Dahab, it was still about another seven or eight hours. Yeah. And it was probably about 14 hours in total from leaving uh, Luxor. Um, but yeah, just uh, another one of those sort of crazy bus rides that, that <laughs> sort of happen on the local buses. Yeah. I uh, had someone come on who said that you could do a whole podcast episode on bus rides. I think I think that's absolutely right. You can <laughs> just do an episode on buses, like local buses or tourist buses that get you from place to place. I think there's plenty of stories on those, isn't there? Definitely, definitely. Let's go to Amman. And uh, I remember you talking to me about this trip. It must have been when you were in Canada about how awesome it was like in the desert and you get your car out and stuff. So you flew to Muscat and tell us a bit about, so you came from Sri Lanka to Muscat. What was your plan when you come to Oman? Like, what, what did you, what did your research tell you that the right type of travel should be in Oman? Well, yeah, it was a place that only one good friend of mine at the time, like a, another keen traveler, you know, just it was one of his really highly recommended places. And this, in, this was in 2018. So during that whole year, I pretty much for the majority of the year was traveling and like you said, I was in Sri Lanka before and then the next stop was uh, Oman and it was just again simply also like a very convenient uh, flight and you know cheap I was making my way yeah. slowly from um, New Zealand back to the UK um, so it's just another stop along the way and yeah you know one of the things about Oman that would put many people off and uh, is that it's just very expensive. It's a very westernized country, very rich country. Mm. It's the only country in the world that has zero poverty. So oh, great fact. Huh. Wow. Yeah. They, they really look out for their people. They don't allow anyone to be homeless or anything like that. Um, so you don't see anything like that, which is, is quite interesting 
Um, but anyway, yeah. So in terms of figuring out what to do, I sort of had the idea before going because I booked a hire car for six days. So I was there for seven days. And the problem with Oman, like I said, very expensive. So there's no hostels. It's not necessarily a backpacker friendly place. Mm. So to try and navigate that and not be staying in sort of $100 a night at the cheapest hotels, which ends up being, you know, very costly. If you th- I mean, my, my budget for the week was about $700, including. Mm. I spent a night in Muscat in a hotel, um, mostly because I actually arrived at about 9 p.m. So even though I picked up the car straight from the airport, um, I couldn't drive and find anywhere to set up camp. And Because basically what is one of the things you can do in Oman, which is great, is you can camp for free anywhere uh, as long as it's outside of Muscat itself. So that's okay. the capital city. Yeah. And I spent a day there seeing a few of the sites. Um, and because I had the car, it made it very easy to just get around. So I didn't have to worry about public transports and things like that. And I even went to some kind of big mega store to pick up a tent and some camping gear because obviously I didn't have all that stuff with me. But even with buying all that, which probably was about $60 for everything. Yeah. Um, and then hiring the car was about two fifty for the six or seven days. Oh, days. Um, and then, you know, that allowed me all that sort of money that I would be spending on uh, accommodation. That was all sorted. So I had my transport and accommodation sorted for just over $300 for a week. Um, and also just the added benefit of the freedom of having your own vehicle, uh, not waiting around for, you know, whether it be a bus or a train or whatever. Yeah. The, the, the other freedom, basically. Definitely. Yeah. And it wasn't anything too special of a car. Like I, of course you can, depending on what vehicle you get, there's a whole range, right? Whenever you hire a car. Uh, so I was definitely in the lower range. Yeah, so I set off really from Muscat after day one and drove all along the coast, pretty much taking quite a few stops along the way. My favorite place that I saw was this place called Wadi Shab, which is, so a wadi is a valley yeah, uh, in Arabic. So you'll see or you'll hear wadi everywhere. There's wadi this, wadi that. Um, And it was just incredible, like the landscape, this like gray orange rock and turquoise water river and waterfalls flowing through. And you just walk up the valley and you can jump in for a swim, um, you know, keep walking further up. And so I actually camped in there for, uh, for a night just in like half in a cave and half yeah. just by this uh, little flowing waterfall. God. <laughs> uh, I did pretty, it. Uh, dreamy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very dreamy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of cool like natural sites there. So I wasn't in Oman to see any, say like um, architectural sites or anything like that. It was more for the 
natural landscapes and getting into the desert. And there's a very famous uh, place there called Ras Al Jins, which is a turtle reserve. It's one of okay. the, the biggest in the world. And a great thing about Oman is they're very protective of their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so all these turtles, like literally tens of thousands come onto this beach. It's actually the, the eastern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. So it juts wow. out right there on the uh, Indian Ocean. Yeah. Um, and all these turtles come in and lay their eggs. And you have the photoplankton. So you can literally, you go out at night and you have to be very careful. You don't have your torches on too much. You don't want to disturb them. Mm. But the, the local guys will just sort of, you know, show you the best way to sort of handle yourself and operate while you're going out to try and, you know, see these turtles coming in. And, you know, some of them are just massive. Like they're yeah, the size of a table. Like it's <laughs> Jesus. It's crazy. And then, yeah. you know, you're walking on the sand on the beach and all your footprints are lighting up and <laughs> uh, from the photoplankton. It, it's yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Just like, something like out of Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a massive highlight to see. And yeah, so I spent a night just uh, by the beach there, just on the other side of the beach and then you just kind of walk over the sand dunes to get onto the beach because it's a protected area like i said so Mm. you're not allowed to just freely roam it doesn't cost anything to go there but you do have to it's sort of fenced off and you have to go in and out through certain access points just to stop anyone just you know rocking up on the beach and disturbing the the turtles but it's a great thing because you can go year round there are better seasons to go to see loads more but you can go any time of year and see the turtles there so that's a big so master do well. yeah yeah that's great so you can put that into your itinerary that'd be something I'd, I'd love to see i've never seen that before so if they're guaranteed it all year round and it's fully protected i'm on board massively yeah yeah definitely and um yeah, for the last couple of days, I went into what's called the Wahiba Sands. So, I mean, obviously, you've got the whole desert there. I mean, most of the country is like a desert. Mm. Um, actually, one other note is that the beaches in general in Oman are just pristine. So, okay. um, yeah, just clean. Like, you won't see a, a piece of trash anywhere, um, even in Muscat. So, that's also... Oh worth noting and just something i noticed that was very uh pleasant to see mm. um but yeah then so like i said to the last couple of days i went into wahiba sands and stayed um with these bedouin people and okay. you sort of stay out in the desert and you go like camel riding and they teach you about their sort of traditions and stuff like that so that was pretty cool. I just um, having that experience. That so even though I had the car, I actually, um, I mean, it was pretty cheap. It was around twenty five dollars a night to just stay at this desert camp. Yeah. Um, with like a couple of your meals included, and so How it was very very basic. Um, I actually booked it on when I was in. Sir, which is 
a city. Well, it's not really a city. It's like a big town. Like just before I, like it's, it's on the coast. Yeah. And then it was basically before I took the road from there going into the desert. Um, so oh, I yeah. sort of did a did a loop journey. I didn't backtrack. Um, I did a road from Muscat heading east, going all the way uh, out to Sur, and then that was about three to four days to get there. And mm-hmm. then the last couple of days, I kind of cut back through the desert. Okay. And there's a there's a few other like um, worthy sites to see. That one called uh, Bima Sinkhole which is this sort of perfectly circular pool of just the most crystal turquoise water you've ever seen. And it's just down maybe like 30 meters below ground level. And it's massive. Like, you know, you could fit hundreds of people in the water sort of thing. Yeah, just got an image up now. It looks incredible. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. You have to walk sort of down. Um, and that's really, really cool. And these were just places that I stopped along the way as try and find some street food if I wanted some lunch. And I'd go to local markets to buy stuff and like be cooking um, in the evenings on the camp stove. Oh, nice. Yeah. And yeah, seeing some incredible starry nights there, just like so cool. Like, yeah. The clearest sort of Milky Way and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was, that was a real bonus. Bit of a dream country, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I was I was really pleasantly surprised by it, man. That you know, I didn't really have much expectations. I, I wanted. Yeah. I just thought that even if once I had sorted out the car and decided I was going to do the camping, and I thought, well, that would just be fun anyway. So it doesn't really matter what else kind of happens. Mm. They would just be fun to be out in the desert. Maybe just go on the beach every now and then. I, I didn't know about the turtle place, and that was uh, somewhere that I wanted to get to. Um, yeah and yeah just other than that i didn't really have too much planned i i don't think you really can in that sense like if you're going with a car you're going to have the freedom to go like you know you get an idea of a rough route but you want to also be able to deviate off that if Mm -hmm. something comes up and i guess i did because I mean, I could save it for the for the end for the story. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I was, I was gonna, but now you can go to it now if you like. I was going to ask at the end, but as you're kind of in the desert on the way back anyway, you might as well include the story now, just in terms of timeline. Well, yeah, I was also thinking, I don't think there's too much more else to add on okay. it, man. Like, I just highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, it's expensive, so it's one that you're not going to spend a long time. But if you... If you do go, don't just stay in Muscat for like mm. a couple of days and take a day trip out or something like that. Try and go, you know, even if it's for like four days and hire a car and just get out there. You could even hire a nicer car and sleep in the car. Like Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's ways depending on what people's budget um is. But yeah, it's definitely not so budget friendly especially if you're going to compare it to like Egypt. But, oh, yeah. Um, it was somewhere that I just really wanted to go. And it was one of these places that during that whole year of traveling, it was it was a bit of a splash out and somewhere I was like, well, I'm only going to go there once sort of thing. So mm-hmm. now's, now's the time if I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you've got your own freedom. So that has to be, well, be a bit biased here, but that, I think that's the best way to travel if you've got some sort of transport like that where you can just go anywhere 
and you, as long as you've got a bit of time, make the use of it. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, tell us your desert story because this is a this is a quality story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this was on, I think it was the th- no, it was on it was on the second night of camping. Yeah. Um, so this was actually the first night of camping I spent in that um, Wadi Shab because <clears throat> that's actually not too far, maybe about four hour drive from Muscat. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I was at this place just by the beach, just literally sort of finish up for the night. And then I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to drive into the, the dunes a bit to camp. Went in. I mean, I probably drove for about like 10, 15 minutes off the main road, but it's just like a desert road. There's no, mm. uh, it's not a sealed road. It's just a compacted sand. Yeah. Um, and I'm sort of going off that. And then I, I find this sort of big opening and there's a few rocks and stuff. So you get a bit of shelter because it can get windy. So I was like finding this nice ideal spot to pitch up my tent. And yeah, I thought, okay, that's perfect. So I've sort of even gone off the um, the dirt track by now. And anyway, set up, had such a great night. And then fast forward to the morning, get in the, the car after everything's sort of packed away, try and turn on the engine, the car won't start. <laughs> and, you know, at first I'm just thinking, well, uh okay okay it must be you know i'm just checking a few things like trying yeah. to figure it out you know then i mean i'm not so mechanical like that's just not my forte and but i was still able to figure out that it was probably a flat battery and oh, not okay. necessarily anything that i did i didn't leave the lights on or leave something yeah. on and i was like this is strange this is like pretty pretty much a brand new car like but then i, I sort of started thinking well actually that's not the biggest problem right now. The biggest problem is that I'm in the desert <laughs> and all around me is just sand dunes and no signs of life. I mean, this is probably like half nine, 10 in the morning. And I decided, okay, I've got to try and get some help here because I ain't yeah. going nowhere. So <laughs> I packed a small bag and took everything, like every drop of water I had and, um, probably only had about a liter of water left so you know i wouldn't make that mistake again i was just thought i'll buy some more in the morning (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but it just yeah i started setting off i was walking for well it felt like forever but it was getting up to about two hours an hour and a half two hours and i couldn't even find the road that i came the, the dirt road that I came off to even get. Cause it, oh. when you're in the desert, the sand dunes are always moving. They're not like stationary hills. Right. Yeah. So it can change in a matter of hours. So it's very easy to get disoriented. And I pretty much was by that point, just thinking like, I don't even know where I am. Mm. I don't even know how to get back to my car. You know, <laughs> I felt like I could have been walking in circles and I mean, I had a rough idea of how to get back to the car, but it was like a somewhere 180 degrees that way, <laughs> like behind me, but it, it wasn't like a straight line. 
and the sun's getting hotter and i'm just thinking oh this is not good i've only got a few mouthfuls of water left not even quite reached the peak heat of the day yet oh, it's coming up to like midday and i was seriously like thinking like i might be done here <laughs> <laughs> i actually just thought like this this could be it like i could be you know i could be a goner <laughs> wow <laughs> and uh yeah just literally as i started thinking that it was a few minutes later i heard a vehicle coming and then thankfully it was coming towards me it was getting louder and then i saw it and i was able to wave him down and these two young um bedouin people mm-hmm. were just with like the biggest smiles on their face they're just looking at me like this white guy just pouring in sweat yeah and uh, like red face like trying to make hand signals because at first I'm like they don't seem like they can speak much english and mm-hmm. they're just you know like just full on smiles the whole time just like looking at me like everything's okay <laughs> and i'm like kind of hand signals like oh my god i'm like no water like i don't know like my car is broken and <laughs> trying to like try to communicate and yeah they just sort of like so you know it did speak very very broken english one of the guys and he was basically like, like get in the back of they had a pickup truck get in the back yeah and you know they basically were trying to find uh, the car and we're driving around for i don't know 15 minutes finally found it they tried to look at it they even tried to jump start it mm-hmm. um none of that worked and they were just like oh you know well we're just going to go back to my family yeah so we drive for about half an hour through the desert and i'm kind of like thinking to myself like how do these people even know how yeah to navigate i mean they, they obviously do but it's just like it's quite amazing like um but that kind of speaks to just these people these bedouin people these desert people who have lived that way forever mm. and i ended up staying in this guy's house for the for the night for like two days um the rest of that day and all of the the following day mm-hmm. and he was super helpful um you know he's got a big family there was about eight or nine of them um just in the desert like it turned out to be one of the best experiences that came from something that was looking like it was going to be one of the worst experiences <laughs> yeah. yeah and he you know he managed to call even the car company and was saying stuff like he obviously speaks arabic so he was able to you know communicate better than um than I would have because even though they speak good english it's still not their first language sure yeah <clears throat> so he was trying to make the point he was like oh my friend from england's here and you know you gave him a shitty car and <laughs> this sort of stuff and he were like, they were like really apologetic and they drove a car like straight out mm-hmm. um <clears throat> pretty much straight out but it was like the next day and it got yeah. there by the afternoon um the following day and just like easy transition they just gave me a brand new car um and it was no trouble i didn't even cuz cuz it ended up being such a good experience i didn't even want to go through the hassle of trying to say something like oh you know i want a refund or oh, something yeah. because yeah, i yeah. wasn't frustrated at that point i was actually like thinking no this actually all worked out for the better i ended up having such a good experience like 
seeing life, what life is like for these local people. Yeah, and I think um, um, also it's not really anyone's fault. Like they probably didn't even know the car was like that, you know, like they just gave it to you on good faith. So, um, oh, exactly. Yeah. Like there's nothing really bad to say about that situation apart from that you nearly died. But, um, <laughs> but you, yeah, you got through it. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely one of my near death experiences. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange experience, isn't it? Like that realization that that could be it. I don't think I've ever had it, but yeah, because you've got to keep hope, haven't you? Because otherwise, if you start losing hope, Crikey. Yeah. yeah. I've had it three times. <laughs> <laughs> three times. <laughs> well, yeah, one, once was scuba diving back in 2010, the first time, and I lost my regulator and basically started breathing in water. Oh, God. Underwater. Uh, but, yeah, we won't, won't go into that too much. And then the other one is probably the, uh, the one you know of is the bus ride. Bus ride in the pool. Which yeah. I think we we did cover and yeah we the did last time. yeah it's, it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll try and get the episode number for that. But yeah, that's I remember you telling us about that, and I couldn't believe what was going on. <laughs> and then we kind of nowhere near that sort of level, but in the pool, yeah, we had that awful bus ride from our trek in Annapurna down back to Pakara. That was a pretty hairy one. Oh yeah. yeah, where we couldn't get seats. Couldn't get seats, and I think if you look to the left, we're on the edge of the cliff so <laughs> bad times great so from oman you went to jordan next which is obviously <clears throat> a more popular destination for a lot of people petra etc so um, what was your plan to go to jordan what was your rough like maybe itinerary and um how did you plan that trip yeah so i had a rough idea that i mean i already had booked my flight even before i went to oman because i had i'd actually planned that rough middle east trip to go from Sri Lanka to Oman, then a flight to Jordan, and then a flight coming out of Israel, just because I actually was going to Greece after that, and I had plans to meet someone there. So yeah, that's sort of why I, I made a, a rough plan. So I allowed um, 10 days in Jordan, mm-hmm. and it's also quite an expensive country and quite different in so, I mean, I, I flew into Amman, which is the capital, which is yeah. where most people are going to fly into. I think it's about the only place you can fly into. Mm-hmm. Nothing too special of a city, very, you know, built up. There's some really cool, like, ancient sites there, but it's not why people go to Jordan. It's not mm-hmm. anything too special, let's say, uh, but a sort of necessary place to go to. Um so yeah, I had a rough plan and obviously the place like Petra and Wadi Rum were the two main places to go see in Jordan. Yeah. I didn't really have any, you know, set plans when I got there. But one thing that was difficult in Jordan is the lack of public transport. So you can get from a few places, but these are generally not any tourist places. Right. And if you stop somewhere sort of halfway down, you can't just like hop on a bus and it just made it very awkward. And I think what I found from speaking to other people when I was there is that Mm. they were hiring cars if you wanted the freedom. Okay. To just explore. So it might be a bit like Oman in that way that it could be maybe better. I mean, I managed in the end because what, what you end up doing is you end up 
meeting other people and carpooling. So you actually yeah. hire a car to get you from A to B. So it is still an expensive way to travel. But if you get four people together, what would be a $20 ride is obviously now a fiver each. So Got it. Yeah. the more people you can get together, which wasn't too difficult because the places you'd stay, they'd put up notices and they communicate with other hotels mm-hmm. about any guests that are also trying to go to a certain place. So that made it uh, easier in that way, but it still just was took a bit more admin to sort out sometimes getting from A to B. So yeah, I went for the day up to a place called Jerash from Amman, which is uh, an old Roman city. So just some really nice old ruins and just a simple day trip is about an hour north. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually somewhere you could get a bus to um, because most of the buses, it seems they just go from a man to places and back. And, okay. Um, so you could go to places like Petra because that's just where a lot of people go, but yeah. I wasn't go planning to go from a man down to Petra because that was going to be nearly one of my last stops. Went over to a place called uh, Madaba, which is probably about two hours from Amman. Now, a good thing, Jordan's a small country, right? So nothing's really too far. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like one of the longest journeys I had. And just very easy. And it's out a bit closer to the Dead Sea. Uh, You're only about maybe 45 minutes from the Dead Sea. Nice. Yeah. And that's actually where I did my uh, Dead Sea um, visit while I was in that part of the world. Because obviously you've got Israel and Jordan. Yeah. But most people think of Israel when it comes to the Dead Sea. But it it simply borders both. So it it marks the border. So half of it's in Jordan. You know, you can access it from the Jordan side or from the uh, Israel side. So I just thought I'll go there. I met met these two French girls and uh, that I carpooled with. They actually recommended that we go to this place called Wadi Mujib, which I hadn't even heard of. And it was a real pleasant surprise and somewhere I'd really recommend. So it's right on the Dead Sea, but it's a valley that goes into the mountains. Oh, and wow. you, can do, you can do canyoning, which is you basically are going up this river and you have all the ropes to get up and then you slide down these waterfalls, <laughs> like these natural slides. And it's wow. just really, really fun. Like you go up, you've got all the, you know, they give you everything, all the gear, like the helmets and elbow pads and stuff like that. And mm. yeah, you just go in your swim shorts and yeah, it's just really good fun. So that was a really good experience. And yeah, moving on from there, I went to a place called Dana, which there's a sort of, national park or something it's called a biosphere okay Um, but it would be equivalent of like a national park right and it's it was probably my favorite place in all of jordan mostly because i was just so surprised at how beautiful it was there that you stayed in like dana it has two guest houses Mm -hmm. and about four houses it's that small of a village and it's set on top of this mountain and there's just this valley dropping off below of like starts off very rocky 
Yeah. And the further down you go, it's just like lush green trees in between these just massive canyon. And you're just watching exactly like this canyon is facing perfectly west. So like you get the best sunsets mm -hmm. and just a really overall, I spent two nights there. So I had a day just hiking down the canyon and get into, yeah, just, you can, it's one of these things you can just walk as far as you want, but you, you obviously have to walk back up to the guest house. So you can kind of gauge where you're, point of no return is you could walk for an hour <laughs> yeah. down or you could walk for three four hours and just keep going but you just got to walk back because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there's no roads coming back so it's just completely natural landscape yeah and that yeah it was just probably the highlight of the whole trip and then yeah from there i went to uh, petra of course which, of course yeah again i mean to say that dana was i mean the highlight was more like this the surprise of the trip yes that and that wadi mujib were places i even though i heard about dana before like i didn't have any idea of what it would be like mm. i saw a few photos and it's obviously petra is world famous one of the wonders of the world of course you're going to go there if you go to jordan and you stay in a place called uh or at least most people do called wadi musa okay it's just the town on the edge of Petra where all the hotels and guest houses and restaurants yeah. everything is and I mean it's obviously very touristy yeah. that town um so some things are a bit more expensive like the restaurants uh, the prices are a bit hiked up the food's not as good as in other parts because it's yeah you can still find good places but there's a lot of just typical typical stuff right the tourists, touristy yeah. restaurants where mm. they charge overpriced like average sort of food yeah but petra is incredible you need at least two days to do petra i'd say okay I'd, yeah um i i did three days there oh three um, okay yeah it's massive it's it's a city it's not one one thing it's it's a whole yeah it can take you three hours to walk from one end to the other yeah and you're doing it in like the desert heat so you also got all these places to see along the way so you can't just it's not just about like walking from one end to the other like when you're walking in all these caves and you know all the things that are there it takes a long time to get all the way across it and through it so some people just go for a day and they see maybe three or four of the main parts mm. of Petra. Yeah. Um, but actually it's the best two places are at opposite ends. So huh. you still got a full day of, you know, walking in. Yeah, the yeah. And there's little like settlements within it where they've obviously set up for tourists with selling you know souvenirs and food and drinks so there's no problem when it comes to you know getting stuff while you're there mm -hmm. um but i'd still probably recommend i mean maybe not so much because you can still just buy like some cheap like uh hummus and laffa like the bread and yeah you know some basic food like that for pretty cheap but otherwise you could just take your own sort of picnic in for the day there's uh, no rules against that. Oh, nice. Bonus. I mean, it's not, it's such a huge area that, you know, there is like the main entrance, but nobody actually checks your ticket. 
but you'll get people who might come up to you and ask to see your ticket when you're in there. But uh, because you can actually enter it, at least when I was there, you could enter, there's the main way people get in because you walk from the town down this road, this main road. Mm-hmm. And there's that kind of maybe main entrance, but there's, because it's so big, you can also get in at other points. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely well worth, going to just an absolute must place to see it's incredible i think you got to, you? <laughs> to uh yeah to see it and just to like ponder how like this was i mean it's it's really incredible when you just think about like yeah how would something like that have been built yeah uh, because you can't that. like there's no conclusion to that as mm. a, yeah at least that's that's uh satisfied people because yeah we we could never build something like that today. So, mm. you know, they obviously had more advanced techniques and technology because it's there. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's, that, that's the undeniable part <laughs> yeah. is that it's there. It's like in terms of how it got there, like this, you know, you have to speculate. But at the end of the day, because we can't build these things, it just speaks to that they obviously knew some stuff that we don't know today. Yeah, and it's not recorded in any, I guess, literature. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll never know, like because we. Yeah, there. and also you, you know, you can't age things. Like I always kind of make this point to people because I said, and this kind of relates to a lot of what we're talking about today. Because even Egypt's like you've got all these ancient sites, and mm. you know, all these dates are thrown around. But at the end of the day, you can't date a stone structure. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. You can only date like organic material. Uh, there's carbon dating that's used. You can only you can date soil, you can date a tree, mm. but you can't date a stone. So like it's pretty much guesswork because yeah. even with Egypt and the pyramids, there's no texts that say the pyramids were built by this guy, yeah. on this on the by this pharaoh on this day. It's just it's just hypothesis. Yeah. And yeah, so just something to bear in mind that at the end of the day, these could be actually a thousand years old, or they could be 10,000 or a hundred thousand, because at the end of the day, we don't actually know. And that's the and, beauty of it, uh, right? I don't, I don't really part want of the to mystery. Know. Yeah. 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 I, want to, I want it to be mis- like mystified and go there and just, just kind of enjoy the or savor that experience of like what it is and not try and like analyze how and why it was built or when, because almost pointless in, in my eyes i want to go and experience enjoy that thing yeah the next main part of jordan that everyone made famous by the movie lawrence of arabia the mm-hmm. famous red sand desert um a massive area with like really you know incredible rock formations and all these sorts of things and just this very like reddish orange sand really cool like i just stayed in a desert camp most people do it's the only way to there's no like hotels or anything there it's just a national park yeah is wadi rum like quite a popular thing do you think that people do or do you think it's off the beaten track almost it's definitely the number two like most people do both like they go to jordan for three days and they do or two days even from places like where you go into jordan and it's always Petra and Wadi Rum and what most people want to go see. Like, so with Petra, you've obviously got the 
the whole historical aspect and it's the architecture, mm-hmm. but then Wadi Rum's like the natural, completely natural landscape. Um, and just that different command, both. Like, I wouldn't do one or the other. Like if you're going to go to Jordan, you have to do both. Um, don't even bother if you can only do one. Okay. And they're not far from each other, about yeah. an hour, maybe two hours. You know, in terms of my itinerary, Amman's near the north, quite central, but northern, more northern. Yeah. And my route was to basically make my way south. And so Wadi Rum is pretty far south. Um, and then after Wadi Rum, I went to uh, Aqaba, mm-hmm. which is just the town on the border of Israel. Pretty nice town, actually. Pretty laid back, chilled. It's right on the Red Sea. You can take a picture where you're looking at four countries. Um, oh, wow. Because it's, yeah. it's right right on the border of, uh, you know, you can literally see Egypt. You've got Saudi Arabia and Israel. And then obviously you're in Jordan. Mm-hmm. They all meet the borders of that. I, think I met people in Wadi Rum that I camped with that had a car and they drove me to uh, Aqaba. So that was oh, nice. a nice yeah. little bonus. I got <laughs> quite, quite friendly with them and... Uh, when when I was in the desert, and they were super nice. A guy from Bulgaria, who I actually met up with. <clears throat> although we're not talking about that today, but after a, I was in Greece and I travelled mm. through Europe and went to Romania and uh, Bulgaria and places like that. Yeah. So from uh, Akaba, that's that was my last stop, and pretty much, yeah, just went from from there into into israel okay i've got a few final questions about jordan the the jordan pass uh, this might be a question for oman as well is there a pass for each of those countries that you acquire to maybe save money on like sightseeing yeah so jordan can be very expensive mm-hmm. um they have like the jordan pound there and it's it's actually stronger than the uk pound so oh wow okay yeah I can't remember the the trend. Um, I think it was just as a roughly at the time about twenty Jordanian pound was about twenty five UK pound, something okay. like that. Yeah. And one of the most expensive things about Jordan is the visa. It's about uh, fifty five uh, Jordan pound. Mm-hmm. So that's like sixty five something yeah. English pound. But there's a loophole. So this would be my top tip is <laughs> yeah. get the Jordan pass because if you get that pass, you become exempt from the visa. You show it as you, there's all the information on the Jordan pass website, mm-hmm. but the Jordan pass gets you into every single site in Jordan, except for Petra, Okay, which Petra is about, an, about 20 uh, Jordan pound, something mm-hmm. like that. And it's for like multiple days. You get like a week, I think, for the the Petra ticket. It just comes as standard as a week. Yeah. And you can go every day for a week if you wanted to. Or but it's the same cost if you're only going for a day. But the Jordan Pass, I think, is was 70. Yeah. Uh Jordan pounds. So it's 15 pounds more than the visa. But you get into all these sites, like you close your Wadi Rum ticket because that's a national park so you have to pay to get in there and that's like 20 pound and the dead sea all these places you have to go to they were all included and 
there's a lot of sites I maybe haven't mentioned, but also this, I can't quite remember the, the names of them, but just like places you go to when you're in Amman. And I went up to um, that Jerash, that Roman city and that, you know, all these places are included. And if you mm. went to, I think just five of them, you're saving yourself like over 50 uh, Jordan pound. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just well worth it to get that pass because uh, there's not actually anything like that for Oman, but that oh, okay. was one of the biggest uh, money savers for Jordan, especially yeah, if you're going to go for, well, I think even if you only went for like two or three days, you, you know, to pay basically a hundred us dollars for a visa or like 120 for this pass that includes your visa and plus all those sites. It's mm. uh, yeah, so you might as well get that. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great yeah, tip so for Jordan. That this is it. If you're just going to Wadi Rum, because like I said, Petra's not included. But if you were just going to Wadi Rum, it's the same price. Yeah, as not getting the Jordan Pass, and you're most likely guaranteed you're going to go to places. Like I said, that I couldn't even tell you the names of because there's so many sites there. Um, in all the places, there's always these sites that you need to pay to get in. And this Jordan Pass just gets you in all of them. Mm. So even if they're small, like $5 ones, and you go to three or four of them a day while you're in, say, Amman, there's some pretty cool sites there, like amphitheaters and just old ruins and, you know, just the mm. typical ancient sort of sites that you we're going to see when you're in a country like Jordan, you know, it's riddled with all these ancient sites and ruins. And obviously Petra is the famous one. But yeah. I mean, it's like Egypt with the pyramid of Giza, like there's 137 pyramids. In <laughs> yeah. Egypt. So yeah, yeah. a lot of focus is on one, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good um, tip. I think it's um, well worth doing, isn't it? And I think you normally see even like, organized tours they definitely go for four or five days anyway i don't think people would dip in so um it's definitely worth getting that if you can so you crossed over to israel so how was that because obviously you hear or read about that you don't want your passport stamped um i don't know if it works either way from israel or going to and from but was that a pretty simple crossing this could be my story for jordan even though it's going into israel oh yeah and technically yeah happens uh, in the no man's land but um yeah so i got dropped off by my friends from akaba they drove me to the border literally like you know it would have been about an hour walk or like a five minute drive and i show up and you know there's no one around i'm the only person there like crossing the border yeah i go in like no problems getting out of jordan yeah, literally just like two minutes, quick stamp, you know, onto the next window. <laughs> and I mean, this young girl, like who was working there, I mean, she was probably like my age, it seemed like, you know, she's asking me all these questions about looking through my passport. And they're very, you know, vigorous in terms of just like looking mm-hmm. at every stamp and all that, because like you say, there are certain countries that Israel will not let you in uh, if you have uh, 
been to some of these countries. Right. But they're pretty extreme countries. Like it's not Jordan, it's not Egypt. Like Syria is one of, so of course they border yeah. Syria on the north. But you can find the list online, but there's around maybe a dozen or maybe even 20 countries that they just simply don't allow people who have been there in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works both ways. You can't even go into these countries uh, if right. you've got a yeah. stamp, if you've got a stamp of Israel. Yeah. But Israel has a bit of a loophole for getting around that. They won't actually stamp your passport. They'll only stamp a yellow card, which they just slot in your passport. And you uh, just obviously have to keep that in your passport. Don't yeah. let it fall out. But that way, when you leave, you've not actually got any proof that you were in Israel. Got it. So they're okay with like you go into a place when you've been there, but they don't want you to go there <laughs> if you've been somewhere else. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm, you know, in, in this border and I'm just chatting to this girl and I'm at the point where your bags go through like the scanner. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of other guards there, but this girl's just like relentless in terms of just going on about like, how have you been to all these countries? Mm. You know, like what, what do you do? Like asking all these questions. And I was like saying, well, explaining, like I was doing this working holiday visa in New Zealand and yeah, I was working as a chef and she's asking for like the names of my employer, the name <laughs> of the cafe I worked at um, the address of where I, which I lived, like my, um, the bank I used all these sorts of things. And I was like, this seems a bit like yeah, invasive, yeah. but like, yeah. I also didn't want to cause any controversy and say like, <laughs> why do I have to give you that? So yeah, yeah. it's like, cause I had nothing to hide. So I was just like, yeah, sure. Like I can, you know, and I was actually, you know, she was like, you know, why were you here? Like when I was saying, oh, I went to Thailand and then I went to Myanmar and then to Sri Lanka and then I was in Oman and, you know, it's like, ask me like, what do you do in this country? Like, how did you fund yourself and all that sort of stuff? And I kept going back. Well, I worked for a couple of years, like saving money and stuff like that. And just, she just kept circling back almost as if she was trying to like, see if I would give a different response or or something. Mm. And it was just very, very bizarre. I was just trying to be like very polite and just easygoing. Cause like I said, I have nothing to hide. No, um, nothing. I was, you know, trying to keep quiet about. And I just said, well, like, do you want me to show you pictures? So I like pulled out my laptop and I got up like, my pictures. And it's just kind of funny because if you were like, you know, you're in a, I mean, it's not like airport security, but it's like border security. And, you know, it's this big room and there's quite a few of these conveyors that you put your bags on to go through mm-hmm. the scanners. And then there's the, the scanners you walk through. And we're like the only two people in this massive room <laughs> for about two hours. I was there and I spent God. about 45 minutes going through all my travel pictures. <laughs> and actually by the end of it, she was like, seemed like inspired. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like I converted her. Yeah. yeah. I actually said to her at the end, I said, you know, because I've been to India and there's like travel, traveling is not uh, an alien concept to mm. Israeli people. Yeah. Yeah. Many yeah. of you go after, you know, your military service. Yeah. 
And uh, and she was like, yeah, I know, I'm in my military service. And and I sort of said to her, yeah, well, so you were just trying to get some tips. <laughs> uh, yeah, no problems getting through in the end, but that was just, uh, yeah, a funny story, like a strange experience. Yeah, it's like, this is a bit strange, isn't it? I, I can't really work out what's going on, but yeah, at least you inspire someone else to go and travel. That's the main aim, right? Well, I think because she was doing her military training, so she was probably only like 20. Yeah. 21 something like that like they're trained in interrogation so <laughs> yeah by by circling questions again like going in different directions and circling back to previous questions and noticing if i give a different response is a key part of people who interrogate because then they can get find out if somebody's hiding something it's like well before you told me this and now you told me this yeah what's changed as where i didn't you know give away anything mm. in that sense like i just like i said just being honest you know that yeah basically i was just i'm a full-time traveler <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was just something that i don't think she could quite comprehend yeah yeah it's crazy isn't it how people just and like she even idea. said she even said at the end like well what's your plans while you're in israel like where are you going where are you staying mm. i was like i don't know <laughs> uh, i know i'm gonna go to jerusalem yeah but other than that as you said you're gonna go to palestine i said i don't know is it worth going <laughs> and she said you shouldn't go there <laughs> <laughs> i love i love the fact you asked her is it worth going to <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get travel tips from an Israeli, pretty much military person. Oh, should I go to Palestine? That's brilliant. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that as we, uh, as we get into. Wow, that's uh, that's a funny question. <laughs> I don't know. Is it worth going to? Brilliant. Well, I was just like you know trying to say that I I don't really yeah. have a set plan. I know yeah, I'm going to yeah. spend a night in Elia, and then I'm probably going to go somewhere before going to jerusalem but as i don't have a plan and then she was kind of looking at me like who comes to a country and doesn't have a hotel booked or mm. doesn't have like <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah still isn't it just, just winging it yeah just winging it yeah exactly yeah yeah some people listen to this like oh, i've never gone anywhere with no hotel booked but yeah scott proves that you can yeah so tell us your route in israel what was your rough plan i know you said you didn't really have any plans but what was in your mind yeah so i had about i think eight days in israel like seven nights eight days and again like i knew because i had a few friends there like people i'd met from traveling before so i had a good idea about some places to go and also you know cost of things and yeah um the main thing was to go to jerusalem and to spend most of my time there because i mean it's it's one of my favorite cities. It's probably my favorite city in the world in terms of that I've been to mm. um, as a tourist. I wouldn't say in terms of like being able to live, but it's just an incredible place to see. It's one. The, it's probably the most beautiful city in the world. Yeah, uh, the architecture, everything has to be made out of um, stone and marble. Mm-hmm. There's no concrete. You know, no eyesore buildings. Everything's kept to like this pristine standard and so i spent i think five nights in jerusalem out of 
the whole time. I spent the first night in Elliot, and that was was okay. Nothing too special. I did some yeah. walking up the hills behind and got like some views over the city, but it's not too different from uh, Aqaba in Jordan. Yeah. So it's just right on the beach there. You can go down to the beach, go for a swim if you want. I didn't bother with that. I just went for a walk up the hills behind. Then the next day I went to a place called Mitzpi Ramon, which is um, was recommended to by a friend. So it's not really a place people have heard of or mm-hmm. people tend to go. It's very popular with um, Israelis. Uh, it's a popular hiking destination. It's basically a massive crater. Yeah. And you just can hike down into the crater and some pretty cool stuff. It's a very, it's a very hippie town. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So interesting thing about Israel, they have, you think in Canada because of where you are, uh, obviously the association with weed. Yeah. But actually Israel has the, highest percent of the population in the world that smokes uh cannabis and it's 23 oh, okay. percent of the population smoke there yeah um so it's basically one in four people so it's very like prevalent there um it's still illegal but i think it's pretty relaxed considering yeah one in four people yeah have it <laughs> um and let's all talk We'll get into what a story I've got for later. But yeah, so Mispy Ramon, very cool little town. There's only one hostel there. Um, probably a few guest houses and hotels, but uh, hostels are the cheaper accommodation. And it's much cheaper than other parts like Eliat, like yeah. way, way cheaper than places like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. So yeah, I just spent a night there, did a bit of hiking and then made my way to Jerusalem. Mm. And yeah, like I said, that was just such a such an awesome place to be. It's very, I mean, it's just so like westernized, you yeah. know, the way of life, everything's you know modern. And then you've got the old town Jerusalem, which is the where most of the main sites are, like the the great mosques and the synagogues and just the old cobbled streets and mm-hmm. really cool stuff. Um, just wandering around there. And I used Jerusalem sort of as a base as well to go to Palestine. Yeah. So I went over a couple of days to Palestine. But yeah, you know, because Jerusalem's such a great base to because Israel's really tiny. Mm-hmm. You can drive like from one end of the country to the other in about from south to north in about eight hours. Yeah. And you can drive across it in about two hours. Wow. Yeah, that's that's small, isn't um, it? Yeah, and Jerusalem, so I'd say like Tel Aviv is only like 45-minute bus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I just recommend to stay in Jerusalem over Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is where you're going to, well, actually, the airport is based right in the middle. So it's about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to both cities. Okay. Tel, yeah. Tel Aviv is more famous as being a party place. Party place, yeah. Um, which it is. I spent my last night there and had a pretty wild night, but mm-hmm. maybe we get to that at the end. Yeah, Jerusalem is just such a... I mean, the food in Israel is some of the oh, best in the world. Yeah, like they... 
they know how to do good food. Yeah. Um, yeah, this thing called uh, Sabik, Sabish. Okay. My, my Arab, my uh, <laughs> yeah. Hebrew would be terrible. Yeah. Um, Shabbat Shalom is about all I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Ashkara, which I think is also uh, Arabic. Mm. Which is like means like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what it's like to travel across Palestine. Yeah, so this is quite bizarre. Like we went to so Bethlehem is about fifteen minutes from Jerusalem yeah, by the bus. Right. I mean, you can see it. Yeah, um, it's just on the hill. Like, and uh, but what's what's interesting? I got to learn a lot about that whole conflict yeah and it's very different to the way i mean i didn't really necessarily say i know too much about it before i went there Mm. it's very interesting to once you've heard both sides of the story but the thing is there's no problem for like me or you like tourists to just pop over to palestine ah see because because it's not you know they have no quarrel with you know other nations but Mm. they're also kind of not their own nation anymore they've they do have a government but in terms of crossing the border it's like literally you just walk through like there's yeah almost no real checks and i just found that very bizarre considering stuff i had heard about mm, is yeah, yeah. palestine and you always hear there's conflict and i thought given my previous border crossing like a few days before and the interrogation I received, I thought, is it going to be worth going over to Palestine for the day? Like, how long is it going to take to yeah. get to the border? And people were telling me, oh, no, you just walk right through. And I was like, <laughs> really? Like, you know, I have to sort of see that to believe it. And yeah. that was the case. Like, literally, wow. nobody checked anything when walking into Palestine. There was not one person asking for anything mm-hmm. or checking anything. You could have had a gun on you. You could have had anything. <laughs> yeah. No scans. And the same coming back. I guess we'll save the bit coming back till after. So first, just when I was in Palestine, you've got this famous artist called Banksy. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. He's one of these like elusive people. Nobody really knows his yeah. true identity. And yeah. But you get all this really cool artwork on the wall mm-hmm. on the Palestinian side. And it's an eyesore of a wall. We were walking around the streets. You kind of walk along the wall as you're looking at all the artwork. And Mm -hmm. I was with this English guy and we were looking at this this bit of art and this lady walked past who is a local and we started chatting to her and she said that it was eight years ago that she literally went to work and she came back. She used to have a view of Jerusalem like she could see over Jerusalem, like one of the best views in the whole country and even the world, like she claimed. Yeah. She went to work in eight and a half hours. She was back and there was a giant wall up. <laughs> they put it up that quickly. Yeah. And even to this day, you know, there's still petition to remove the wall. It's been there now for probably, well, well over a decade. Yeah. Just to learn all this sort of stuff while I was there, like you're not going to really hear that from an israeli perspective they'll say oh it was justified because of x y and z but yeah yeah well 
you know, at the end of the day, like, it's not if it's illegal, like, it doesn't matter what what you say, like, and yeah, it's just kind of sad for these people, because at the end of the day, they're no different. They just yeah, yeah, live on, on the wrong side of the wall. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they used to have like this great view over a beautiful city. And then now they're just looking at a concrete eyesore. Mm. And, you know, it's affected everything. The cost, like, she can't move now. She said, no one will buy my house because who wants to look at this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, whoa. Yeah, that's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think we'll save the story to finish Israel off about the coming back. But in terms of Jerusalem as itself, when you're back in the main city, um, I guess you go and see all the famous parts that are divided up by religion, right? Yeah, so the old town of Jerusalem is split into four quarters um, because of the four religions. So you've got the first one that was given, the first quarter that was given was uh, for the Armenian Christians, mm. which are the original Christians, which, yeah, Armenia is another sort of <laughs> <laughs> similar situation to Palestine. And then you've got um, the Catholic Christians mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, Muslims, like Islamic, and yeah. then the Jewish. So those are the four quarters. Mm. And it's just very interesting because you hear of conflicts. And now when you're walking around in Israel, something, of course, you're going to see is a lot of military. Yeah. Most of them are like kids. They're like just walking around. Yeah, they've got guns, but they're not like threatening. They're just joking around with their friends. They have to be at their posts, you know, like, oh, you're watching this corner. So there's just a few guys Sometimes they're like smoking a joint, and it's uh, that's that's pretty bizarre. What you don't see on the news, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't see that. Yeah, you know, I think also at the end of the day, most Israeli people, I would say, are aware of the issues that their government has caused, mm-hmm. uh, and are not supportive of it. Like they, but they also have a, you know a good friend of mine from Israel that made a good point, like. You know, as much as we've taken over somebody's home, at the end of the day, Israel's my home. I was born here. Mm. And, you know, so like, what do you do? Because yeah. as much as I want to help these people, it's also my home. And if they see me as the enemy and they want to kick me out, then how do you operate? How, like, yeah. how, how do you navigate that? It's like, yeah, it's a, it is a mess. All these people, though, in Jerusalem, they're all living together. They're all different yeah. faiths. You've got, yeah. you know, they're. <clears throat> it's not like the quarters are. They're confined to their quarters, and only the Jewish stay here and the Muslims stay here. No, that's just generally where they live. But in their day to day, they're working on the other because the old town's not the whole city. It's a small part in the center where all the famous temples and sites. You know, mm-hmm. like the stuff people go to see like the giant wall that they all pray at and you know some there's a famous mosque um the temple mount yeah it's probably the most famous uh, temple in in jerusalem but yeah it's just such a beautiful city like the way it's so clean and everything's made of marble and stone and 
the food's great. The people are all so friendly. And like I said, it, they all just live together. And there's, of course, I say you're going to see military people around. Mm. But after a little while, like you don't really notice that too much because they're not like, you know, marching around <laughs> yeah. or pointing guns at anyone. They're just sat on the corner, like keeping like a watch a out, like <laughs> doing doing what they're told to do. But most of them don't want to be there. It's yeah, like of course. Yeah. they're being forced to do a job that they know they have to do because of the forced military service. And yeah, yeah sure. Some of them take it very seriously and some of them continue in the military. But the majority of them are like just doing it to get it done so they can go away traveling. Yeah, which they do do in, in big numbers, as we saw in India. Uh, yeah, they, they love their traveling, which is great. Well, this was, I was just going to say about, because it's not really too much with what we've just talked about, but when I crossed back from Palestine, thinking that, well, surely there's going to be more of a check this time. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming yeah. from Palestine and, you know, the conflicts and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Again, no, I mean, I did have to show my passport. But this was so funny because, I mean, this was actually the f- um, the first time I saw a military personnel smoking weed. But in his booth, <laughs> like yeah. behind the glass, he's what we would call hot boxing <laughs> the booth. Really, lad? What <laughs> <Poor> lad? <laughs> I, I'm 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 walking through, and there's like a smoky booth that he's in, and the guys like. Got a big beard, yeah. completely red face, red eyes. And I just show my passport and he just kind of like waves like, yeah, whatever. Like he didn't even say a word. He just kind of waved his hand. <laughs> and I just, you know, back in Israel. And I'm just like, that yeah, so I could have, I could have had like a bomb yeah. or a gun. I just thinking like, no wonder, like, <laughs> I just would have thought the security would have been a bit. Uh, You'd think so, wouldn't you? A bit yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. Like people would be absolutely flabbergasted by that, wouldn't they? Yeah, that is. That's, yeah, that's it was. Fancy. It was shocking. I walked back with this English guy, and then I think I can't remember who the other. But there was another guy with us, and we all just kind of, uh, you know, once we actually got out the other side, we just kind of looked at each other and burst out laughing. Like, <laughs> did that just happen? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. Some of the funny stories from Israel here. It's quite funny. Any any final story that you want to finish on? Actually, before you do that, I've got a few more questions. Expensive, I imagine, Israel. Uh, it is, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like you know, going going to Jerusalem is like going to London for a week, okay, sort of thing. There so you go. it's like going to New York or Paris or any of these you know, major cities that mm. you most people would consider to be in the in the high end of the price range. Okay. But also totally worth it. I mean, if yeah. yeah, there's lots of interesting stuff, but you never I never once felt like it was dangerous. Like mm-hmm. it's very well organized, very safe and like, yeah, there's a lot of military around, but again, like that's not in a um you don't feel threatened by that okay that's good to know i think that's key for people to know that because again it's one of those countries that um people might think oh too dangerous but it's actually for me definitely not so maybe because of your experience and what you've told me but 
now we have it on records. So that's good. Is there any final like story you want to say about Israel before we sort of go on to a final few sentences about Dubai? Um, no, just just go there. I mean, yep. you'll be pleasantly surprised. I mean, out of all the places I've been, like I said Jerusalem is one of the highlights of all my travels. Wow. And Israel in general, like I did spend five of the seven days in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to sum up. Like the markets are really, really good there. Like amazing food, awesome mm-hmm. people. Such a melting pot of cultures. Yes. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, some, you know, stats like 25% of Israel are Russian. So oh. about 30% are Eastern European. So you actually have yeah such a melting pot of cultures and languages and and that is expressed in all the stuff you'll find there like the food and things you can buy and all yeah. that sort of stuff so it's really there's no place like it wow okay that's a great way to finish on israel um just a wrap we, we won't spend too much time on dubai and uae but uh, let's, a, a few a few tips here or a few senses, but Dubai, I guess, is obviously known for its lights. It's maybe a, a hub now in the Middle East. How did you find that? Yeah, so it was actually my first stop on my not like ever traveling, but just my my trip that that extended for like well, over seven years. Mm. Um, because really, the first stop was supposed to be. Uh, Thailand to fly into Bangkok, but it was a convenient stopover in Dubai. So I thought, well, yeah, why not spend a few days um, and just see something while I'm there? Actually, the best part about Dubai for me, like, there's all the really modern stuff and the yeah, incredible malls, and you can go skiing inside and scuba diving in a giant water tank and like <laughs> with sharks and stuff like. They just like try and make the impossible possible there, it yeah. seems. Because you almost can't be outside for half the year. So they kind of got to make these massive buildings so you can do all the stuff inside. Mm-hmm. But the best places were the old town, Dubai, which is like the real, I'd say the real Dubai, not the, okay. the modern. So it's very quaint, uh, very very cool like there's um a famous gold market it's the biggest gold market in the world there Mm -hmm. and yeah i spent a good day that i was there i was there for three nights so i had two sort of full days yeah and i spent a full day there and then a full day going to like you know the burj khalifa and yeah some of the other the famous seven star hotel on the beach there um it's like a giant um wind sail mm-hmm. uh, mostly to just go for a swim on the beach yeah but yeah the the old town definitely worth checking out if people go to dubai and want a bit more of an, uh, an authentic experience um of what yeah local life is actually like for probably 90 percent of the population okay yeah, I do know that uh, I think Emma's done this. She went from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. So it's a real easy transition in terms of transport. I think that's a pretty popular 
route, I'd imagine. So you can go over to there if you want to see something different. Well, also, I guess a little tip I could mention is for people who want to go to Oman, this might be worth looking into if you say you're going to go for like a week. You yeah. could fly either into Dubai and out of Muscat or into Muscat and out of Dubai. And there's frequently buses. It's about a six-hour drive from Dubai to Muscat. And very easy to... I didn't actually cross the border myself, but mm -hmm. even my dad's uh, been over to uh, Oman when he was in Dubai. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's very easy. There's no visa. There's no... It's just very easy border crossing. They're very friendly between one another, the country. So nothing... Uh, to really, you know, be concerned about in that sense, and could just be another way. Even if you just want to go to Oman for a couple of days while you're in somewhere like Dubai, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely an option if it's a stopover. Just realizing how close they are. So, uh, yeah, again, depending on what maybe flight is cheaper. Yeah, you could. Uh, Sometimes, yeah, find you could spend a few days for what you would have spent on one of the flights and get a little sort of free trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's a great tip if you can get that in, into your trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and I want to, I'm actually going to randomly off the cuff, I normally do quickfire questions, but you've already answered mine before, but I'm going to do quickfire questions on what we talked about today. I'm just going to think off the top of my head. But before that, can you just quickly tell us about your podcast that you co-host, um, a few sentences about the premise and where we can find it and how often you release a podcast episode? All right, yeah. So it's called Esoteric Ether. And it's myself and my friend Josh Stolp, who James also knows. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we started at a similar time to James, maybe a couple of months after, but We've been a bit sporadic with uh, releasing, but the goal this year is to basically get one out every week. Yeah. Um, but there's slight challenges at times because Josh is in Australia and I'm here and we're both also, you know, busy with things. So mm -hmm. sometimes we don't get around to, to doing them. But yeah, basically we talk about a lot of different things, uh, mostly... I mean, esoteric simply means hidden. So it would just talk about stuff that is generally like not so well known, like mm -hmm. not necessarily like alternative, but stuff that most people just either have misconceptions about or don't really understand. And it's just things as well that I've learned through my travels, through meeting people from other cultures, how they see the world, like getting all these different perspectives and obviously formulating my own view and what I think there's uh, value and um, worth knowing. So yeah, we cover so many different topics are talking about different parts of history yeah, to even like current events and questioning those sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I've been a guest on there as a talk about travels, right? So we've had that before Christmas, I think. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Um, that was great. That was a few episodes ago. So, yeah. but yeah, recently I did one on 
the North Pole. Okay. Uh, the hidden nature of true North and how every culture in the world has uh, revered the North Pole as their um, sort of holy place mm. and talking about why this is and what the North Pole represents in these cultures yeah, and how that's become lost today. When most people think of the North Pole today, they think of Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and even the origins of you know things like the northern lights like the name of it yeah but yeah talking about that sort of stuff so that's just one topic but okay yeah and where can we find you i guess you're on most uh popular podcast platforms right like spotify etc but anything like yeah. in terms of anything else that we should know yeah i don't actually have like a website or anything right now so yeah um i guess I'll leave a link. Um, yes, I'll put some links in the show, in the show note. I'll yeah. uh, I'll sort that out with you, James. After, yeah. but we have a contact email, but also yeah, a link to take people to whichever podcast platform that they use to listen to a show. Sure. Obviously, Spotify is pretty popular, yeah. but also there's Apple and you know all the others. So there's too many to list. Yeah, there is. But you're on the and, main uh, popular ones, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Got got all the main ones covered. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. I'll put the um in the podcast notes, which I now do these days. I didn't do them back in the day, but nowadays I do. So I'll put some links in there to Scott's show in terms of those different platforms and where you can find him and that podcast. So that's great. Um you can access them on any platform that you like. Okay, I'm gonna finish on some quick fire travel questions. Hey yeah. Just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. Obviously, you've answered mine already before, but I'm going to off the cuff think of a few questions to ask you about what we discussed today in the middle east probably the most important question is out of all those countries what was your favorite cuisine or even 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 granular favorite meal or type of food from those places or oh, probably that uh sabik from israel it's like a, so they call it lafa is the word for bread and yeah. it's like a really nice like a a wrap but really thick and then you get these grilled aubergines, um, a bunch of like chili stuff, and there's hummus, mm-hmm. and there's tahini on there, oh. and some egg, oh. and it's all like wrapped up. And it was pretty cheap as well, like for Israel standards, one of the cheapest street foods. And I mean, it was one of them could like, it was like the size of like two burgers. So. <laughs> I mean, it would fill you up as well. 
Okay. They're so delicious. Name a place that you saw. So it could be a landmark or even nature that you just thought, wow, this is unreal. Uh, the places that we discussed today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably go with Razal Jins in uh, the Turtle Reserve in Oman. Okay. Especially from the aspect of the photoplankton of like going in oh, the yeah. water and having it light up bright green see your footprints light up when you turn around as you're walking that's crazy um <laughs> yeah i mean i've never seen that anywhere else in the world so and next question i imagine that all these places did have a beach so what was the best beach out of these places that um you saw i guess some would be on the sea some would be on the ocean some might be a lake like what was the best beach do you think mm-hmm well, that was probably also in Oman because yeah. they were the most pristine. As where Jordan doesn't really have any except in uh, Aqaba. And Tel Aviv does have a nice beach, but it's just so crowded mm-hmm. uh, that that's something that maybe took away from it. But there you also get the perfect, you know, sunset view. So, yeah, dreamy. Yeah, I'd probably lean a little bit towards Oman because I also quite like beautiful beaches that are also not deserted, but quieter. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it it just sounds a bit more pristine, doesn't it, Oman, in terms of the way to look after it, maybe not as busy. Uh, They've got things going there that sound pretty cool. Okay, next question. Out of the countries that we have discussed today, what would you say was the easiest to travel in in terms of like admin and booking buses and trains and flights or cars? What was the easiest one, do you think? Uh, Israel or Egypt? Probably, yeah, both equally. Okay. And I'm going to finish on, basically, can you just say why people should go to visit Middle East from your experience? Like why should they give that a chance? It's just a part of the world that for a lot of, uh, let's say, Western cultures i mean everyone has a preconceived idea of it and i would just state that that's probably incorrect and that's only going to be disproven if you go there like it's really so much better than you'd probably imagine just go there because you know somewhere as as easy as israel and as I mean, it's, <laughs> it sounds funny to say as safe as Israel because it doesn't have that reputation. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even, I mean, Jordan is very safe. Uh, Oman is probably, they're all some of the safest places I've been. And also maybe that's because there's this preconceived idea that they're unsafe. And yeah. so you're more surprised by the fact that, oh, it's just the same as being back home. Mm. So maybe it's more the shock of that that makes them feel maybe more safe than they actually are. I don't know. But they're certainly not any more dangerous than where you're living right now. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, I will put that as the final quote of this podcast episode. And I have not been, but I totally agree based on your experience. So I can't wait to visit. Yeah. Yeah. Get out out there <laughs> yeah scott thanks again for coming on i really appreciate you making time uh, we've done a good uh good chunk here actually it's been going a, a good while so i can't wait to get this uh, out there and released <laughs> yeah i know time flies when you're uh reminiscing yeah 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 in that flow state right 
enjoying what we're doing. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, no doubt you'll be back on with another area of the world. Um, we'll we'll figure what that is and then get you back on again. But thanks for being a guest, and I'll get those show notes updated with your podcast too. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, always fun to talk about these things. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm happy to come back anytime. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you later. Cheers. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.